Um, so while he's um, doing that and waxing poetic in his dramatic monologue, uh, is there any <laughs> way that I could, like, tiptoe with my absolutely massive giant feet into the encampment and grab that crumpled moat? You barely paid any attention, especially because it didn't have a feathered helmet. Didn't have the blue feathered And And helmet. this one does. Has, has no! a <laughs> I've got to punch him in the face. As you requested, the captain is generously deemed to accept the bishop's offer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you fall, we'll pick your bones. You hear an ominous tone that rings out across the Red Mountains. Uh, we need to get out of the city, but I don't know a way to avoid the main gates. There's only one way out. and welcome back to another episode of The Gate Chronicles. This is Chronicle 1, Chapter 52. Ooh, hold on. I forgot. We're supposed to celebrate every episode until 100. Absolutely. Woo! 52! We're two episodes over the halfway mark. Let's go. Oh, my God. Even two episodes closer. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, if you haven't figured it out by now, my name is Emily. I don't know how you'd figure that out, but if you've been listening to this podcast, you know that I am the game master and host for this series. And on top of that, in Sword Online Odd, our other podcast, I play Snow. But today, I am only joined by... Me! Quentin, who only plays Charles Smoot, 57-year-old biology teacher born and raised in upstate New York, currently fleeing a city where one of his close compatriots supposedly just murdered the king and is scrambling because another close compatriot is being kidnapped by an empire of laser sword-wielding maniacs. Sounds like the synopsis for Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, it could be Star Wars badly explained. Charles Smoot explains Star Wars. Yeah. We keep, I have all these ideas for a podcast. We're just going to sit down and have Charles Smoot badly explain plots of things he's never seen. There you go. All right. So let's get started. Intro music. I'm going to have that playing over the intro music now. <laughs> With more evidence of dark deceptions at hand, Charles Smoot made his way back into the city, but the ominous tolling of bells signaled the beginning of something sinister. A treacherous act against Raylan's king stirred its citizens into a frenzy, and Charles found himself desperate to locate his comrades. Though he is soon met with a familiar face, Amali has found them. Using Amali's fiery anger as a distraction for the Red Guard, Charles quickly fled the city with his remaining party. With the chaos inside of the city, use linked by the guards at the front gate as a pillar of fire erupted in the central square. Raylan's knights buckled at the sight of the combustion while the Red Guard readied themselves. You quickly took in the scene forming before you escaped. You spotted John Xavier standing atop the black carriage, his bow trained at the fire. Desmond's voice cutting through the panic, shouting for his guards to steady themselves, and a man dressed in a long red robe with a wicked smile on his face, cackling as he lifted a glowing rod above his head. All before, a desperate scream pierced the air. A plea for help. And a deep rage fills you. 
and you feel a dark sensation pulse through your veins. And suddenly, you feel as a black void pulls you under, swallowing your consciousness. Now, Charles Smoot. Yeah, that's me. 57-year-old biology teacher, born and raised in upstate New York. A little confused, but we're present. Well, yeah, let me put it this way. You feel yourself being pulled under by this void, but I need you to roll a will save. Or you can choose to uh, go with it. It's one way or the other here. Seeing as voids are generally fairly ominous, and even on a good day, uh, it doesn't sound like I would have control of my character, I'm going to attempt to resist this because there's things that need to be done, and I don't know what this is. Um, And and the dice agree with me today. I think it's making up for last session as a total 19 for Charles Smoot's will save. Charles Smoot, what do you do or say as this black void begins to envelop your body? You feel yourself being pulled under. Your face is slowly being covered and enveloped by this. What do you do? What do you say? Damn it. Not now. I have more important things to do. And as you say that, your words get cut off and you are fully enveloped in this void. And it is a familiar feeling that washes over you. Your heart pounds in excitement or fear. You really don't know which one. And strangely, you feel as if you know this place. A dark void, seemingly limitless in its expansion, and yet you are contained within it. I I imagine that a limitless void could contain Charles Smoot. He's not that big. Yeah? Why does this feel familiar to him? Is this anything similar to the dream that he had. It feels very familiar to the previous dreams that you've had. Oh, Charles Smith would be pissed. Why am I here? This isn't what I need to be doing right now. There are people who need me. As you say this, your voice sort of bounces back from the void. But you hear as there's a low chuckle that emanates from behind you. (sighs) What do you do? Uh very indignantly and enraged, one might almost say, Charles Smoot would turn around, furious, and someone would be attempting to laugh at his circumstance and belittle his anger. It's very strange because this void is so dark, no light seems to pierce it, but you are still able to see this being as you turn behind you. You see what appears to be almost a silhouette, similar in size and shape to you, though you see as this liquid and ooze sort of drips off of his figure. He is currently leaning against something. It's as though he is keeping himself upright by controlling the environment around him. The ooze that drips off of him seems to bubble from his skin, And you see, as it hits the ground, it sort of melds back into the void. Damn you! Why am I here? Let me out! (sighs) I could say the same to you. What is it that you want? What do you want, Charles? It'd be great to fix this whole damn situation, now wouldn't it? Get Amali back with CC, get Kelsey out of the city, bash the skulls of the Red Garden too! Yes, Charles. Exactly like that. I know everything you want. I know everything about you. And I can help you get exactly 
what you want. You just have to let me out. Let you out? Who, who even are you? He tilts his head at that. And strangely enough, though there is no face to speak of, there is no skin or shape beyond the silhouette, you see teeth. White teeth as he smiles. I am you. <laughs> or rather, a part of you. I've always been here. And I've been waiting. Oh, great. Is this one of those, like, suppressed id things? All I have to do is accept myself and I'll be free? Fine! Bring it on, then! He smiles this wicked and horrific smile that spreads almost all the way across the creature's face. This you. Then he stands up and begins walking towards you and reaches his hand out. And as he does so, you feel as his fingers sort of spread and they begin to melt around you, your body becoming covered in this oozing black substance <laughs> and he begins to cackle yes Charles all you have to do is let me out and he slams into your body and you feel as this ooze melds into you and as that happens you your eyes shoot open and a cold sweat coats your skin but the crackling warmth of the fire and the chirping of the crickets in the grassy hills grounds you. You realize that you're nowhere near the capital city, least a day's ride away by this point. And a small hand rests on your left shoulder. Mr. Smoot, are you okay? Well, that all just happened. Uh, I, you were asleep. I, I was just coming to get you for the last watch. Okay, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, sorry, just a, a little groggy. Um, where, where, where did... We end up making camp. To be honest, I don't know. How, how, how far out are we from the city? What, what, what happened back there? She furrows her brow and searches your face. Uh, we're about a day away now. Maybe, I don't know how far exactly. We ran for a good bit. No, no, right. It must just be the exhaustion. Everything stills to blur. Yeah. She looks over towards the fire and you see sort of by its side there is a sleeping bag which you had apparently managed to scrounge up and Valen is currently lying atop of it, though he does not stir at all. How's his condition? Any better? No, not good at all. All right, well, hopefully we'll be able to make it to the uh, Rayland Guard outpost. Closer to... Easton Hill? Where was it? Mr. Smoot. Yeah? I don't know if we're going to be able to make it to the fort. Oh, Not with his condition as it is. And we have no supplies. You have a better idea? I don't know. We need to find somewhere to get something. Somewhere to get something. Okay. Oh, so easy, Mr. Smoot. Just go. And scrounge up rations out of the dirt. I mean, technically, that's it's called foraging. It is possible. Um, <laughs> Sorry, that was good. <laughs> it's called dirt foraging. <sighs> We're dumb. And the, uh, has Palin regained consciousness at all? No. 
Mm -hmm. And she gestures back over to him. I mean, you saw what it was on his side. There is just... I I don't know. It looks like he's probably been poisoned by something. I I just... I don't know how to help him. (sighs) This has just all gone downhill so fast. I mean, Raylan said he is on a hill, and we did leave it, so we did probably decrease in altitude, yeah. She chuckles a little bit. (laughs) Well, I'm glad at least we can have some humor. I'm so beat. Get some rest, Kelsey. The past couple of months, you've been forced to worry about things that should have never been any of your concern. You've constantly been having to take care of yourself, and along the way, trying to take care of others. Just let someone else take care of you for once. This isn't a burden we were meant to carry alone. And Charles Smoot places a hand on Kelsey's shoulder. Get some rest. You've earned it. She smiles. Then she leans over and gives you a hug before she goes to a solid patch of dirt. Do we only have one sleeping bag? You have or is one. my sleeping bag? Because I'm the only one who's ever prepared. Yeah, the one that Valen's currently lying on. Yeah, okay. She goes over to some nearby dirt where she actually has, seems to try and gather around some of the grasses to create a bit of bedding before she lies down Ke- for sleep. Ke- Kelsey! What? I just throw my cloak at her. She grabs it and wraps it around her. Thank you, Dad. She does the air quotes. I gotta always be sarcastic and air quote everything. It's my job to make jokes in light of everything. Well, I mean, if I said it seriously, you might actually believe it. So, you know what? Never mind. Good night. Good night. Flounces down onto the ground, covering her head, seemingly embarrassed by the the situation. Tolsmoot would wait a while, um, as it is his turn to keep watch. He'll have a good amount of time to himself. Uh, he wants to make sure that Kelsey is fully asleep before he attempts to do anything, doesn't wish to disturb her. But after probably about a good half hour to an hour, once things seem calm, Chelsmoot will make his way over to Valen. Um, And seeing as he was a biology teacher uh, and is trained, he would attempt to make a heel check to take a look at his companion's condition as they've been moving constantly and he never really got a chance to get a good look at it. Okay, go ahead and roll a heel check then. 21 for Charles Smoot's heel. Walking over to Valen's body, um, as, as you bend over, you can see that there is a cold sweat that is forming on his brow. Uh, he appears to be shivering quite a good bit. And you peel back some of the coverings that you both managed to put over the injury. It peels back with the dry blood holding it in place, but you hear it kind of ripping off. And you see uh, at his side, right around his hip, there is a deep gash that seems to be seeping blood. It's no longer bleeding heavily, but it seems that any of the efforts that you and Kelsey applied to it, nothing seems to work. And you see that there is an infection starting in the area. And you know that this has to be some sort of poison based on what you're seeing with this wound but you you don't have any way to treat it at this time. But it seems as though the wound is refusing to heal properly. Ah, I'm out of options, and I might just be going crazy. I don't know what else to do. Charles Smoot will put his hand 
over the wound and attempt to almost reflect internally, thinking about that sensation that he feels when in contact with the void, and almost as if posing himself a question, he has an internal monologue which asks, is there anything you can do? Go ahead and roll a will save. Eight total for Charles Smoot. You attempt to still your mind long enough to try and hear a response from whatever it was that you interacted with earlier, but you were met with jumbled thoughts. Pain, anger, rage, thoughts of your wife and your children, thoughts of Cece, David. And then it re- you realize for a moment, oh crap, David's still back in the city. God knows where Finn is. We're scattered and lost. Almost no better than when we started six months ago. For the first time in a long time, Charles Smoot feels almost without agency, as if he's at a loss, a loss for his own abilities, overwhelmed with a situation which he by himself and even with those around him, they could not possibly overcome. And unsure of what to do with all of this noise in his head, kind of clenches at his heart, almost in pain, until he makes contact with his jacket, and in his pocket there, he's always kept close to him a little pocket Bible that his wife Joy gave him, and it has some crayon markings from when the kids were little on the inside cover. With everything going on, he's reminded of a verse that says, Be still and know that I am God. And almost in a moment of revelation, he recalls that he is not meant to do this on his own. And in a desperate attempt, Charles Smoot would just lean over Valen, almost in tears, and pray. Pray for anything. A sign, some form of agency, guidance, and the power to deliver him and those he cares about out of the situation. And as you are leaning over him, some of your tears kind of trickle down your cheeks and fall onto Valen's body. After a moment, you hear a slight stirring. And he sort of turns his head towards you. How long have I been asleep? Oh, God. Literally. Oh, Jesus. Thank you. Oh, I guess I know things in prayer and petition. Submit your will to him. You can tell he appears very weak, barely conscious, as though even a slight breeze might just knock the wind out of him and he might go back out. Malin. Oh, thank God. You're awake. That's improvement. Oh. <laughs> you look that terrible. Uh, okay, listen. We're not going to give you a mirror right now, but you would understand why that statement is really not appropriate for the moment in time. Uh, I don't know how long it can... Uh, where are we? About a day's ride out of Freyland. We had to flee the city. Um, things were getting chaotic. We're currently making our way to one of the Raylund forts over by Weston Hill. I figured it would be a 
safe place that perhaps hasn't been fed a narrative which may and or may not be true yet. Somewhere where we can recoup for a time at least. He goes silent for a moment, turning his head and looks out towards the surrounding field. Though you know he can't see much from where he's laying. You can tell though that his eyes are sort of welling up. But after a moment, he turns back to you. Not the guards. We need to go. Farron. Farron can help. Where is she? You said we're a day's ride out. Yeah. About a day's ride south at this point. More or less, whatever Cerulean can muster. But maybe about a half a day from here. Further east. My old family home. And Farron. Farron's village is there. Oh. Isos, that hurts. Uh, just go there. I know she'll help if she can. All right, well, um, uh, now that you're awake, uh, maybe I should have done this earlier. Uh, here, uh, here. And Charles Smoot hands him a stick. You can tell that he flicks his eyes towards it, but he makes no motion to grab it as though he is too weak to even move right now. Okay, okay, yeah, here, oh, open wide butt, bite down on this. Oh, no, please. Oh, this is gonna hurt. Okay, so you just shove the stick in his mouth as he's like, no, please, don't. Yeah, 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 100%. Okay. Um, well, Charles Smoot would attempt to clean the wound. Okay. He does have rubbing alcohol and bandages, which he got from way back when, when we were originally in the... Oros compound that we escaped from. Charles Smoot managed to snag rubbing alcohol and bandages, which he's had this whole time. And now seems like the best time to use it. Okay. Go ahead and roll a heal check. Uh, Charles Smoot has a 25 on his heal. Okay. Um, so, Charles Smoot, you begin setting about attempting to clean the wound and rebandage it. You pull the rest of the blood-stuck bandage that you had placed there temporarily before. You didn't have much time to really take care of it as you were running, fleeing from the capital, unsure if anyone was pursuing you at that time, but you peel it off and you take the alcohol that you have and you begin to slowly pour on the wound. Valen, have you ever been in contact with acid before? Because this is going to sting a bit. You're going to want to bite down on that stick, champ. You see his eyes sort of open as wide as he's able to at this time, which isn't very wide, but you can tell that there's a reaction. You don't give him a chance to really respond and you just begin pouring it. And you continue to attempt to bandage up the wound. Though, you see, as you pour the alcohol on the wound, some of the blood kind of bubbles up and out and pours onto the ground. And for now, all you can tell is that the wound looks a little cleaner. And you bandage it back up, wrapping as best as you can. But you don't know how well it worked or whatever poison it is that is working in his body, if you've managed to do anything to counteract it at all. But for now, you believe you might have at least staved off some infection. All right, well. You can see his eyes are just, there, there are tears running down the side of his face. Dirt stains very clearly have formed, having been slung over the back of Cerulean for so long. All right, well, you, you should be good. You don't need that stick anymore, but try and stay quiet. Kelsey is asleep. As you're finishing up with the uh, pouring of the alcohol and you're like starting to wrap things, you hear as a blanket is flung from behind you and you hear Kelsey's footsteps quickly approach and she then plops down right next to you. She's leaning over Valen, 
seeing that he's awake. Balin, are you okay? He still has a stick in his mouth. Um, just as you're about to pull it out, though. Oh, oh, well, he might not feel too hot at the moment, but at the very least, his wound is disinfected, and I was able to wrap it with fresh bandages. <sighs> she leans over, and she takes part of the cloak that she dragged back over with her, and she starts wiping off his face a little bit. <sighs> well, at the very least, uh, good good evening, good morning. No, good morning. no, no, good night to both of you. Both of you need sleep. <sighs> Fine. We have a decent way to travel tomorrow, and both of you are going to need your energy. Kelsey adjusts herself, facing back towards the fire, sitting sort of in front of Valen, watching the flames, allowing her body to sort of lull itself back to sleep before she falls over on the side and just sleeps there. Waiting for everyone to at least try and find what little rest they can, Charles Smoot keeps watch until the morning trying to give his weak, weary, and in some instances injured compatriots as much time as he can so that they may attempt to regain their strength. But as the sun rises, he knows that the longer he waits, the worse Phelan's wound may get. So at first daybreak, he would rouse everyone and set off to this old family home of the Greys, about a half-day's ride, it's Farron's village. You begin making your journey there. You do not have many rations left. Uh, Valen is currently slumped over on Cerulean's back. Your progress is relatively slow, but he is in and out of consciousness multiple times throughout the day's journey. You feel your stomach beginning to grumble with protest just as it's reaching about midday and you open up your sack and you see there's only a few crumbs left in your bag. Well, Cerulean have had it. That's not enough to feed a mouse. It certainly isn't enough to feed me. Yeah, here you go, bud. Like it up. And Charles Moon will just pour the remaining crumbs out in his hand. Cerulean munches happily on your remaining crumbs, of which include from your Rations. What, what kind of rations did Charles Smoot have? I mean, it would probably mostly be like hardtack and jerky. So if it was any crumb, I would imagine it's mostly bread. So Cerulean happily munches down on it. Kelsey sighs. <sighs> I'm so hungry. Well, that's just more of a reason to keep going. If we stop, we'll slow down our pace even further, and we won't reach the village until even later. And I assume if it's a village, it has food, so... Right. Uh, it is quite unfortunate that I didn't manage to grab anything before we left. But hey, at least the weather's nice today. Oh, yeah. Always look on the bright side. That's that's a, that's a good thing to do. Um, she is currently the one that is keeping Valen steady on Cerulean by holding him there. Trying to keep him upright this time instead of having him slung over the back. Now that I'm finally more clear-headed and we're all somewhat rested to an extent, what happened back there. Like, I, I, I know what, more or less, actually, no, I don't remember what happened when I really met you guys, but, well, how did Valen get like this? What happened with the meeting with the king? Oh, I wasn't there. I, I was still at the Grey's Manor. So, so what, he just stumbled in with a deep gash and was poisoned and you hobbled out? No, I, 
I I heard him call for help. What, what, what do you mean you heard him call? All you said he was in the castle and you were at the manor. Well, I yeah. Okay, yeah, you, you do understand that. That's like almost a mile away, right? Like it's so far of a distance. Many stairs. Trust me, I know. Yeah. Uh, I just, I just knew he needed help. Okay. Also, speaking about knowing things, this has also been bothering me for so long. What do you you know about the Artifact of the Red Crown? What do you mean? What do you know about? You said we need to find the Artifact of the Red Crown. How do you know what that is? I mentioned it in passing. Why do you think it's going to help our situation? Uh, because you mentioned it in passing. Okay, I Uh, mention a lot of things in passing, like how I want a Bubker Kirkburger right now. You can see that she is sort of looking back towards Valon as if she is trying to distance herself from the subject physically and um, verbally. Well, to answer your question, I didn't find him at the manor. I found him in the water, by the waterfall. And then I just heard all the shouting and, well, I went and got Cerulean and came back. We grabbed him and we tried to make our way out of the city. All right, Kelsey, you're trying to act like I have not spent the better part of a decade working with teenagers. I know deflecting when I see it, all right, young lady? Well, I'm not, I'm not deflecting. You're deflecting. Uh, uh, No, no, I'm not deflecting. I'm very blatantly asking you, what is the significance of the artifact of the Red Crown to you? Why do you know what it is? Because they told me. Who is they? She just looks at you very indignant and her eyes are wide and just frustrated. Was it the far traveler? I don't know. (laughs) And she looks away from you and there's this long moment of silence between you. Uh, No. Hmm. Listen, uh, Kelsey, it's not fair that I'm being hard on you. Or just in a very desperate situation. I've been grasping at straws, looking for answers and only coming up with more questions. But... How about this? I'll be honest with you, and you'll be honest with me. She looks back at you. There have been some things that I have neglected to share with the group. When I went up to the Shrine of Tribes, I literally met the Far Traveler. He was almost physically there. Something seemed off, but we were able to hold a conversation. He told me about the Artifact of the Red Crown. He didn't explain its significance, but he said he had been waiting for us. And he said he gave me the key. And Charles Smoot would hold up this strange triangular metallic object, which was given to him by the Far Traveler. So, like in the painting? Uh, yeah, kind of. Um... I mean, I I did meet him at that time, at that place. Uh, Apparently, I think he made those paintings. I'm still a little unclear on that. I mean, I don't know what the artifact is, but the voices, they keep telling me that we need to find it. So you've been having something similar? Well, for a lot longer... How much a lot longer? 
since we woke up. Yeah, that's a lot longer. I've, I've been... I've only been having strange visions for about the past month or so. Ever since, really. Most notably, um, since we were at the Raylund Fort. Right around the time we split up. She slows down her walk. Cerulean walking ahead of you all. He actually stops and looks back as you all come to a slow. (sighs) She looks down at the ground. I didn't... I didn't want to tell anybody because I thought you all might think I'm crazy. And sometimes they get so loud I don't even know what or who's talking to me anymore. At first it was... And she looks up at you. My brother's voice. But then there's just all these other voices that keep talking and keep telling me things. And I don't know what's real half the time. And then when Finnevere was saying that I should use this ability more, I was afraid. It hurts. It hurts my head so much. Sometimes I don't have a choice. Sometimes they tell me when something is about to happen. Usually something bad. It's sort of like I can hear glimpses of the future. But like I said, I started hearing about the artifact of the Red Crown. Probably around the time when you went up to the mountain. They started singing it to me. Have they ever sung to you before? They they just, did they decide it's a musical episode this time? (laughs) No, sometimes. When something is important, they'll sing. But when there's danger, they scream. Do they tell you why it's important or where we can find it? I don't get much information from them, whoever they are. But at times, it's like an infinite chorus of voices that I can barely make out anything from. And it's quite annoying. Well, that's it. That's my secret. I'm going crazy. And there are people that talk to me in my head that don't exist. But it is weird that I can hear my brother sometimes. I mean, as a biologist, um, I... Not exactly... A psych major, but um, there definitely seems to be some potential residual side effects of the sleep study. I'm sure that if we actually took a questionnaire of all those involved, they'd be exhibiting similar side effects. Mm. For me, it's not a chorus of voices. It's not hearing things, but it's like a deep void which seems to tug at my vision my my mind just sucks me in time and space almost seems to disappear and I'm there all alone or at least that's what I thought and until recently and there seems to be something stirring up within and I'm not sure what would happen if I embraced it 
So while it's not the same thing, just know that we're all going crazy together. Like a family, huh? Like our own form of messed up rejects family, yeah. Well, I'm glad I at least have you, Mr. Smoot. I hope Uncle David is okay. Me too, kid. Me too. Then Charles Smoot just kind of gives her a little side hug. She is partially smiling, and she glances up at you. <sighs> and I don't know if we'll be seeing Finevere again. Ever. Uh, 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 did he die? No, no. Are the voices screaming at you? Is he in danger? No, 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 no. Nothing like that. But he said he found his family. There. There, there, there where? In Rayland. In Rayland? In Senai. Oh, okay. Uh. And he said that he was leaving. Uh, oh, well. But it was a strange... Strange goodbye. I don't know. We might see him again. Knowing Finnevere, he probably will think he's satisfied initially and then realize he's not satisfied. He's very wishy-washy at times. Well, uh, I wish the best for him. And I hope that the family he finds is truly what he was after. Yeah. Family. I really hope Cece is okay. She begins walking up next to Cerulean again and adjusting Valen, who seems to have shifted and turned his attention just slightly towards you both. Ah, one problem at a time, Kelsey. We've got enough on our plate. I know, Mr. Smoot. Uh, first thing first, let's focus on getting to this village. Getting Valen looked at and getting us something to eat. And you guys continue on your journey. And... A good while later, you finally crest over a hill and you see in a small valley is a very small village, barely even that, more along the lines of a settlement. There are sprawling fields all around and off in the distance, you see what appears to be a sort of more grand building looking similar to some of the estates that you saw back in Senai. Following down along the path, you see as there are a few of these villagers about. One of them is dragging behind him a cart filled with some sort of squash of varying sizes. My squashages! My squashages! No, we're not going to crush his squashages. Charles Smoot is going to make the um, outrageous assumption that if the Gray family ever did have an estate in such a small village, it would probably be that very large house that stands apart from all the rest. So he would guide Cerulean and Kelsey over in that direction. But along the way, he would try and source some sort of food and or water as it has been a while since they've been able to eat anything. You see that there is actually a well in this village uh, where there is a bucket that is tied with a rope and you see as a few women throw down the bucket and they bring it back up, loading up their own barrels before lifting up their yoke and heading back to their homes. There are only five buildings here, though. Well, then in that case, Charles Smith wouldn't bother with it too much. He would probably just head to the main large estate. As you are 
going along the path, assuming that Valen was telling you to go towards the estate, you hear a voice. There you all are. It's good to see Valen. You see as Farron comes running towards you from a side building, which is covered in beautiful vines. And there is a herb garden in the front that is encased in a small fence. Uh, what has happened? What is going on? Uh, he needs immediate medical treatment. Um, he's taken some nasty gash, possibly a dagger wound. I, I cleaned the wound, but it seems to me that there's some poison in play. I don't have any of the equipment. I can't make a anti-venom, or I, if it is even venom, I don't know. It's all right. Bring him this way. Uh, you can bring him to my papa's shop. All right. Charles Smoot will lead Cerulean and follow after Faerun. And she guides you towards this building. The scent of herbs and boiling something or other in the back. You can't really tell what it is. There's a scent of vanilla and rosemary in the air as you walk in, carrying Valen slung over your shoulder. Here, you can put them here. And she literally walks over to a table and pushes aside an entire table's worth of flowers and plants and wooden bowls. And she just pushes them off the table. Papa, Valen is here and he needs your help. You hear the sound of footsteps approaching from a back room. And you see an older gentleman come out, very similar in appearance to Farron with the darkish tan skin. He has short hair that is kind of messy, but curled. And he has a nice beard and a mustache that is peppered gray. What is it, mi corazón? Oh. He walks over to the table. Tell me, what has happened? Uh, I wish I could, sir. Um, unfortunately, uh, the unconscious man before you is probably the only one who could tell you the tale. What I know is that he has a nasty gash over on his side by his hip. I disinfected and cleaned the wound, but there seems to be some form of poison. Ah, I see. I hate to see the young lord in this state. I have known him since he was such a small boy. This breaks my heart. But let me take a look at him. And he goes over and begins to unwrap the bandages and takes a look at the wound, scrutinizing it. No. He shakes his head. This is not good. Do you know what inflicted this wound? Yeah, that, that's what I said. I don't know. He's been poisoned. I see. And he walks off to the back room. And then he comes back a moment later with a mortal and pestle and several herbs in his hand. How long has he been in this state? Mm. Day, day and a half. And has his condition improved at all? Hmm. He's faded in and out of consciousness. Uh, he, he was unconscious for about a solid day until I treated his wounds. And he woke up very suddenly, but has been in and out since then. Mia, run to the well and grab some water for boiling. Do it quickly now. Yes, Papa. And Farron runs out of the room. The door bursts open as she runs out the door. And you see she goes towards the well, which you have a pretty good view of from the inside of the building. Uh, is there anything that we can assist with, sir? Are you any good with a needle and thread? Uh, if you're asking if I can stitch a wound, the answer is yes. So as you say that response, he raises an eyebrow. 
I was talking to the girl. I need you to hold him down. Oh, that, that I can do. Ah, uh, needle? Thread? <laughs> I guess I can try. He raises an eyebrow. Again. I so smell. Lord Valen, we may lose you today if we are not careful. Don't worry, Kelsey. I will be judging you if you do not suture this properly. Oh, please don't. Ah. Moments later, Farron comes back and she pulls out the iron rod, which holds a cauldron over the flames. She throws on some wood blocks and lights it and begins boiling water. Meanwhile, you all begin trying to treat Valen. Go ahead and roll a heal as to aid another. Don't you only have to get over a 10, right? Yes. Okay, cool. 17 for Charles Smoot. You have to hold Valen down. After, you know, a few minutes of the wound being prodded, he does wake up and he begins sort of screaming until Farron runs over and takes a cloth and shoves it into his mouth to keep him from biting down too hard. And you see as... This man, Farron's father, begins expertly working at cleaning this wound. He takes his mortar and pestle, grinding some herbs, and ends up putting them over the place before he covers it momentarily, letting it seem to sort of absorb the poison. And strangely enough, you do see as this dark liquid seems to form underneath of the bandage, which he removes moments later and the wound appears very clean comparatively to before Ugh, wound wheel a very nasty poison for an enemy that you want to suffer a slow and painful death that or someone you want to slow down so they don't escape it prevents wounds from healing quickly allowing infection to spread rapidly throughout the body but luckily a keen eye and some mild treatment can remedy this now my dear Kelsey looks very nervous as he leans over towards the fire, heating a bone needle to sterilize the tip. Uh, Farron, are you any good at sewing? Oh, no, I am terrible at it. That's just why I'm, I'm really good at destroying things and blowing them up. <laughs> you hear as her father chuckles to that. Uh-huh, okay. Uh, best of luck, Kelsey. Charles Smoot gives her a thumbs up. Kelsey takes the needle and looks at it. Her first stitch is terrible. Valen is just, like, struggling. You see his, his eyes are just tearing up and watering. You're supposed to close the wound, not stab him and make a new one. I was never taught how to do this. Oh. I know how to do, like, one stitch. And I think it's from crocheting, actually. It's called a stitch. Okay. All right. Move, move aside. Charles Smoot will try and take the needle from her. As you do that, Valen kind of like, le he swings wildly as you move your arms away. Farron's father jumps down with his arms to hold him down. Uh, Lord Valen, you are going to need to steady yourself and repair, or else you're going to cause yourself more injury and to us. Don't worry, Valen. Surprisingly, me manhandling you is going to be more dainty than Kelsey. Uh, oh, 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 yeah. That's a 25 for Charles Smoot. Charles Smoot. You very quickly are able to do these stitches. Congratulations. You successfully managed to close Valen's wound, much to his displeasure at this moment in time. But after all is said and done, about two hours later, he is finally just sleeping, but breathing less heavy, and the sweating seems to have stopped. You did excellent work on the stitches. 
If I were mistaken, I would think that you yourself are a doctor. <laughs> yeah, I wish. I would never try and go into medical residency. That is just a pain. The years of studying that would take, but... He holds up his own hands, and you see that they're gnarled and also shaking a little bit. I would have done it myself, but after all these years of treating my patients, even my own hands are beginning to fail me. Arthritis is certainly a curse of a disease. Dang, he knows what arthritis is. That's a genius. There is much you can learn through the oral histories. I personally prefer the books, if I can get them. I certainly agree. Uh, I, I'm, I am very familiar with human anatomy and biology, specifically. Not just within humans, but plants and animals as well. Migratory patterns, the such. He nods and listens to you go on about these things, and actually pours you a nice hot cup of tea, and Farron offers you all a meal. Oh, thank God I was about to say we have not eaten for almost a full day. And though I appreciate the tea, the caffeine would have ran straight through me without any protein. And for a moment, everything is calm and peaceful. But Farron seems slightly disturbed. Then she looks at all of you. I was going to be joining you in the capital soon, but... (laughs) Yeah, I don't think any of us are going back there anytime soon. What happened? I have heard some things. News has traveled... It travels quickly here. They usually send out birds. Well, from what I can surmise, um, Balin's cousin's a right proper prick, is working with the Red Guard, framed him, being Balin, for the assassination of the king. All is a political gain so that Desmond could be seated king and make an alliance with the Red Guard. The table is silent for a moment before Farron's father, who you learned his name is Roberto, Roberto Lucierne. He puts down his cup. I always knew that boy would be trouble from the moment I met him. Lord Desmond, that is. But I'm glad that Valen is alive and well, and said that our king has passed on. But we will have to move on with life, as we have always done in the past. It is not us who decide how much time we have in this world. You are quite wise. I can see it in your hair. You have all the years of experience weighing upon you. Uh, it seems like you have a good couple yourself. He chuckles. <laughs> Anyways, um, I... Uh, I don't mean to put you out like this. I know it's a small village. Is there anywhere else we could stay? I don't know if you have an inn or a tavern or anything like that. Well... I don't believe the only space that we have is the one caught here, but there is always the Grey's estate, but I'm not sure if anyone would be looking for him there. More than likely, since this was a family home for him many years ago, they might come and look for him. You might have a few days at the very least, but do you have any supplies to get your traveling started? Nah, supplies... We barely were able to hobble our way here. Hmm. Uh, Charles Smoot looking outside, noticing that it's probably getting fairly late as it was a half day's journey and two hours to mend Valen. I'd probably take the next day while he recovers and rests for a bit to forage and gather what I could around the village, trade with the local people. Hmm. But no, we have nothing to speak of. Not only do we not have supplies to travel anywhere, we don't exactly 
have a heading either. A vague idea of what we may be looking for, but no actual destination. Well, wise old-timer with oral traditions, have you ever heard of something known as the Artifact of the Red Crown? He shakes his head. I'm not exactly sure what that is. I'm sorry. Uh, neither am I. That's the problem. Farron looks at you curiously. You're looking for an artifact? Do I not ask the Seekers? I mean, you are one of them now. Well, we certainly could, and I mean, that is always a place to go to. But I agree. We have connections at Lamb's Respite, and that may be our best place. Though, um, there is some other news. Now, if we intend on going back to Lamb's Respite, uh, one of our thought-to-be allies may think to look for us there as well. A lot has transpired since you left us, Baron. I can tell. After all, the king has died, and we are potentially going to go to war. Uh, it is all such a mess. <laughs> yeah, that, that was only half of it. Smoot would go on and inform Baron as the evening closes of the whole situation. Hmm. It is a very complicated situation indeed. Yeah, you're lucky it didn't take me 50 hours to say all of it. Some people have had to endure longer tales. I hate you. 50 episodes later. Yeah, 50 episodes later, here we are. Wow. Thanks, audience, for sticking around. So, then what happened to Finnevere? Wasn't he with your party? Uh, in David, are they okay? Uh, from my understanding, yes, though I don't really know. Honestly, their detachment from the whole situation is probably why they are so safe. David has been working with the Merchant's Guild, from my understanding. We met him momentarily in passing for a time. And according to Kelsey, Finnevere ran off because he found his family. Again, she utters, very complicated indeed. Yeah, I don't know who comes up with this. Someone's been watching too many Korean dramas. I didn't think it was that bad. God. Well, listen... I know it's going to be very difficult to get back to Lamb's Respite the way that you came. Especially after all, they're going to be looking for Valen. However, I can tell you there is a shortcut. Though you might not like the journey. It's very difficult to travel, but I can share it with you if you'd like. I know it's much to ask, but um, is there any way that you could accompany us as a guide? After all, you are a seeker, and you are part of this quest. There technically is a reward and payment waiting for us back at Lamb's Respite. And seeing as we're down two other individuals, grade three, or a lot of people, and the reward gets split a little bit uh, nicer in larger proportions, it would pay you for your troubles at the very least. I'll have to think about it. After all, this was supposed to be Valen's task given to him by King Arctur. <laughs> well, um, sorry. I don't really think that's... The Anron I accompanied him so that he would have someone to go with him. After all, she looks back towards Valen and smiles a little bit. We've known each other since we were children. So, I was happy to help. But if there is a potential for war, I do not want to leave my papa in this village for too long. Besides, you're going to want somebody who can get you information now and then, don't you? That's fair enough. 
I'm dubious of going into uncharted territory, one that I've not traversed before that is potentially dangerous without a proper guide, but I understand your reservation. I mean, I can show you the way there, to the beginning of it, but once we reach the cliffs, I'd have to leave you. But, as a consolation, if there's anything you wanted me to do for you before then, or if you wanted me to deliver a message to anyone in the city, I can. Did you leave anything behind you'd want me to pick up? And I also know, though, that Valen's parents would want to know that he is at least okay. Oh, there's so many individuals you can reach out to. I mean, making sure that Defeat and Finnevere are at the very least safe and up to date with the situation, I think, is the least we owe them. Contacting Valen's parents would probably be wise. Maybe make some snide side remark to Valen's father about putting our business venture secondary to this matter and allowing him to know that I will look after his son in the interim as well. I can do that. Here. She goes and grabs a piece of parchment and then comes back with a quill pen. Write down anything you want me to do or any messages you want me to pass along. Uh, All right, well... And what supplies do you need? I'll see what we have around this small village. I'll gather what I can, but no promises. I mean, we're going to need at least two weeks' rations for about three people. I know that's not easy to scrounge up in such a small place. I can help you look and forage. Other than that, if his condition doesn't improve, perhaps a wagon, small cart or something. If he's able to ride, where a mount would probably be quickest, though I don't know how well they'll be able to traverse the cliffs. Ah, I was going to say, the wagon would not work at all. Uh, Once you get to the cliffs, it would probably okay with just the mounts. I don't know how well Poppy would handle it, but your elk should be okay. The area is very rocky. There's some steep cliffs in some places. And not to mention there are bandits that are housed there. And then she smirks a little bit. Though I do not think that El Chico will be looking for any fights. Not after what we put him through. Hopefully that man is still looking his wounds. Agreed. So, uh, she gives you a moment. Um, She basically uh, leaves you for the evening trying to set up a small area for you guys to sleep around, moving the table off to the side. Her father and her go into the back area, and she promises that on the next day, she will try to uh, get you your supplies before you head out, though she's not sure how long you want to stick around for. We should probably only stay as long as required for Valen to recover, at least well enough. Okay. So you guys rest and wake the next day. Valen seems to be conscious this time, and still a little weak, but he's actually able to sit up fully. Do you have any specific messages or anything that you wanted Farron to deliver for you? Smoot will sit down with Farron, as her penmanship in Arthdal is probably better than his rudimentary understanding, and have her pen letters to both Finnevere and Byron Gray, informing Finnevere that they needed to move on and are currently headed towards Lamb's Respite, Smoot would have wished him the best, and let him know that if he ever needed us, we would be there for him. In regards to Lord Byron, Smoot would let him know that his son is as safe as can be. He is well, and he is being looked after. 
He would probably make a snide PS note about their business venture, and if he ever needed to keep himself busy with work, that's something Smoot is still interested in pursuing, but he understands that family matters tend to take priority. And because he can, Smoot will pen David a letter personally in a language that only they would understand, seeing as they have that unique bond being some of the few individuals in this world who still remember an older time. Penning in plain English, Smoot would write to David, apologizing for the chaos that, of course, he ended up smooting things up after all, though it's not entirely his fault. He does wish David the best. He wishes that he is safe and prosperous, even amidst the chaos, though he's sure he would be able to take advantage of it for his own monetary gain. He lets David know that he may be on the precipice of something. Something that may help them find answers and a way back home. He asks David to keep his ear close to the ground and let him know if he hears anything using his connections about the artifact of the Red Crown. That it may help Smoot locate a way back home. Or a way to figure out at least what happened. And, of course... If David ever needed anything of us, he can reach us at Lamb's Respite. Oh, and then as a side note, because, you know, listen, listen. When on important adventuring duty, one needs to look as dapper as possible. Smoot will also ask that Farin pick up his suit that he had commissioned, because he already paid for it, and get it delivered to him at Lamb's Respite. Okay, so you... And your company spend the next day resting up and also gathering enough supplies to get you through your journey. Though this village has very meager means, they are very willing to provide Valen and you with the supplies. You have some holy blankets that have joined your, uh, your list. Some wooden bowls and cups to bring along with you. One pack to hold your things and food. And two water skins. At the very least, they hope that you'll find somewhere to refill. And as the next day comes around, you hear as there is a rapid knocking on the door of Roberto's home. He goes and he answers it, and you see that there's a villager there with wide eyes. And you overhear part of a conversation about guards making their way towards this village. And he quickly gathers you all together. My friends, I believe that our time has now been shortened to just these last few moments. I sent Farron to go and prepare your mounts. And, Lord Valen, I wish you well on your journey. And I hope to see you again in the future. But, we must part ways now. Of course. <laughs> Goodbye, Roberto. Hopefully under better circumstances. Thank you. And all your people for your kindness and generosity. It will not be forgotten. You can head out the back way. Go now. And he gestures. And you do see that towards the back of his small abode, there does seem to be a back door. And as you go through it, you see that Farron is waiting there. She has Cerulean and Poppy. Our party makes our way, sneaking out the back, attempting to avoid the gaze of the guards who would be our captors. We sneak off to the shortcut path led by Farron. As Farron leads you to this area, 
she takes you a good few hours away from the village until you reach this rocky region. She gives you a brief word of warning about how to maneuver some of the rockier regions, and she does tell you, this should get you around pretty much all of the checkpoints. The only downside, though, is there's really not much in the way of water, and it is not a well-traversed path. They don't... It was never meant for this. Technically, anyway, you could get through here and they need to beef up security, but we won't tell them that right now. It should only take you about 12 days to get back. But I wish you all luck. Valen turns his head back. He appears much better today, his skin a bit pinker. Thank you for everything you've done, Varen. I'll never forget this. He seems to be, uh, sitting upright on Poppy. But Varen departs from you, and you begin making your way through this region. I need you to roll a survival for me, please. Total 21 for Charles Smooth's survival. Okay. And I need you to make a climb check. Oh, that's going to be terrible. Uh, 13 for Charles Smooth's climb. Hey, you only needed to pass a 10. Ooh, look at that. They're sloped. Following strictly to Farron's instructions, you navigate your way through this region until finally, after many days of traveling it, your rations are running pretty low. Your water skins are nearly empty. Cerulean has just been grazing along with Poppy on the days that you've been resting and whatnot. You finally make your way into familiar territory where you actually see the bridge from the top of one of these cliffs. And as you get close to it, you hear the sound of some sort of scuffle occurring over top of it. Dang it, I don't have a telescope. Uh, Charles Smith would like to make a perception check to see what the scuffle is. Sure. Uh, I'm assuming we're considered to be in mountainous terrain, right? All right, so I'm getting a plus two to my perception for this as well for a total of 21. As you guys get closer, you tell your party to quiet down so you can get a better look and better listen of what's going on. You hear swords clashing and devilish laughter ahead in a familiar way. <laughs> and there you thought you could get away from El Chico and his banditos. But this is not directed towards you, but rather somebody else on the bridge, some poor passerby with a wagon and their Quintians. And you see El Chico standing on the bridge... On, on the ledge of the bridge, his arms placed on his side. He is bellowing and laughing maniacally while he has three other bandits with him and a small baby praying mantis on a leash. How far away is he from me? You're about um, 300 feet away. Is it just the poor, is it just one poor guy in a wagon? Yeah, it's a farmer, it looks like, with some supplies. You think he's going to remember us? I think he'd sully his pants at the sight of us. He chuckles at that, and Kelsey sighs heavily. <sighs> she stands next to you. Well, we could just push him into the water. He's kind of weak. Yeah, and that's also like a 90-foot drop. You trying to kill the poor man? I'm really tired of walking, and I just want to get... The only thing he's ever done is ineffectively rob people. Fine. Then what do we do? Just walk by him and say, Hey, El Chico, it's nice to see you. Ah, jeez. Honestly, that might not be a bad idea. I'm going to walk through, try and dissolve the situation, 
You all cover me from a distance. El Chico's like the seventh wonder of the world. I thought he was more like an irritating toe fungus that doesn't go away no matter how hard you scrub it. That also works really well, actually. All right. Aelin, you have a very important job, all right? This is part of your mission. You are to stay on Poppy and what? not move a muscle. No, that's... A, You're can... still injured. I'm not having any of it. I'm right as rain. I can easily just do... do... Charles oh. jabs him in the side gently. He was turning as well, and you jab him in the side, and he... You can feel, like, his body tense up. Ah, uh, all right. All right. Understood. Wine taken. You're going to stay on the horse in the cover of the trees. Kelsey, cover me from a distance with the crossbow. If anything goes south... We'll be able to handle it. We've been in worse situations. Right. I got this. I'll give you a signal if all's good. If all's not good, stay there and cover me from a distance. Okay. But what if I miss and I shoot you instead? Are you going to be mad at me? I will be livid that this keeps happening. (laughs) If you miss, just miss away from me. It's not that hard. (laughs) She looked. She pouts a little bit. Fine, I'll do my best. No guarantees, though. So, at Charles Smooth's guidance, the party begins approaching the bridge. His two compatriots staying outside of the field of vision, just inside the tree line amongst the thicket and the brush, close enough to give him support if need be and to provide covering fire from a distance, but Charles Smoot will be the lone individual who approaches the situation. Attempting to also aid the rider on the wagon, along with confronting Chico. No, please, El Chico, this is my family's last supply before we have to go further into the fall and we'll lose out on everything. I need the money. You can't keep taking my supplies every time I cross the bridge. I don't care because my name is El Chico. And he's banditos. Uh, Charles Smoot will give that really loud New York whistle that like rings out and probably echoes in the canyon. El Chico stops Uh, and all of his people stop, all three of them. And they all do a slow turn, including the mantis. Charles Smoot just begins strutting up, brandishing his giant great sword in one hand as it rests across his shoulders. Hey, fellas, how's it going? El Chico squints his eyes towards you. Seems as if we're in a little bit of an altercation here. Oh no, not you again. And as he says that, every single person who is on that bridge, their attention is drawn towards you, including the little mantis whose head just does this literal 180 and looks at you with beady eyes. All right, all right. You can go by, but he stays. I have to make a living, you know? Nah. How much How much do you need to make a living, Chico? You know, you could just, like, charge people a toll instead of robbing them of all of their possessions. The farmer speaks up. Well, actually, sir, tolls are robbery. I agree with you. However, <laughs> if we could just come to a reasonable conclusion here, Chico, how much do you want? He scratches his facial hair a little bit. That's a trick. <laughs> One of the men speaks up. That's a trick question. All of it. Okay. You seem to be new in town. I'm going to let you in in a little secret. The last person who tried to take all of it from me and anyone I decided to associate with 
ended up dead in the bottom of the river down there. So, let's come to a reasonable and fair price, or all of it will include your head detached from your shoulders all the way on that side of the bridge. Once again, the metagaming farmer speaks up. I don't think you have the action economy for that. I will find the action economy for that. El Chico also points to the farmer. Shut up, you. Wait, I'm trying to save you and your farm goods. Why are you arguing against me? Oh, my cabbages. That's better. Uh, and here I thought I would exist in this universe. The metagaming farmer. So, Chico, what'll it be? How much do you want? He scratches the back of his head and as he hops down from the bridge. He begins walking up to you. He's a very short man. Much shorter than you imagined. Since he always like kept himself up really high on the bridge. Or was only ever seen running away. It was kind of hard to judge from a distance. He walks up to you with a confident strut. His feet scuffing against the dirt. His hands on his hips. He looks you up and down. Does like the whole like biting the lip thinking thing. But of course, a hundred silver. You really think that man's worth a hundred silver? No, but if I keep robbing him, he will be eventually. I'm not asking you to not rob him tomorrow. I'm asking you to not rob him today. He can deal with himself tomorrow. He does the sucking the lip thinking thing again. 50 silver. That is a hate price. Hold on. This is haggling. This is true. <laughs> so I need you. To roll intimidate. Um, no, diplomacy. Dang it. Unless you're trying to intimidate him, but you're haggling. Uh, 15 for Charles Smith's diplomacy. That is a hate price. That is not worth it. Yes, it is half the price, but you get to keep all of your men. Charles Smith will glare and intimidate him. You hear as there's a shot behind you. Yeah, El Chico. That's right. He'll cut your heads off. You will ain't another. (laughs) Why would you disclose your location? Well, you look like you were struggling. I was doing perfectly terribly, okay? Why don't you just cross the bridge? I'm letting you go. I don't want to deal with you, okay? You cross the bridge, I'll deal with this guy, okay? Kelsey saunters over. All right, Mr. Smooth, can we just cross the bridge and just, you know, I can't. Sorry, Mr. Farmer guy. It's all right. All right, I'm just really big on the um, not not robbing people fine, thing. Fine, fine. I won't rob this man. Just, just leave us alone, okay? You're harassing us. I file a suit against you. How am I harassing you? You literally harass every individual you come in contact with. What, were you an old lady this time, or were you a man with leprosy? Neither. I'm a man walking his mantis. I turn to the man, the farmer at the carriage, and that got you to stop, really? Oh, he's got a mantis. It's scary. But you see, like, it's only the size of a medium dog. It's like two feet tall. Mr. Smith, that's, that's very big. For a mantis anyway. Normal people react to these things. Normally. Stop a humbug. Fine. Don't rob people today or I will cut you. All right. So it's just today you care about. Yeah, yeah. Do whatever you want for. All right. Fair deal. Men, we're taking a break today. A siesta. Vamanos. He just gestures and starts walking the mantis off the bridge back to the other side where you guys are. And he just goes off, and they just follow after him, but he stops momentarily and looks back towards you. Well, go, go on. Get. Uh, Charles Smoot will toss him a small pouch of 50 coins. The men scramble to grab it, and they're fighting over it right now. Valen comes riding out from the forest nearby, like the woods nearby, 
And as he gets closer, what the hell was that? What was what? Why is he so amicable? Yeah, I know, right? Like, I just feel like he's in the wrong business and a lot of wasted talent. A lot of wasted lives, too. Oh, yeah, no, I mean, the amount, uh, the number of people he's led to their deaths is... Is he walking a mantis? Yeah, he, he is doing that. Apparently, it's quite terrifying to the farmers. The farmer just is riding by, and he just waves. You do see that his carriage, his wagon, is filled with pumpkins. And that's when Kelsey says, Oh, my God, it's pumpkin season. What, what, do, you, what do you want, a spice latte? No! Didn't you say there was, like, a costume party or something? Is... That what you're worried about right now? Well, I was just thinking it would be fun. Is that what we're going to be doing next episode? No. Maybe three episodes from now. <gasps> Actually, we missed it. You all finally reach Lamb's Respite. After some relatively easy days of travel, in a way you almost wish that you had not had to take a wagon the first time. So... Making it back to Lamb's Respite, you see the familiar keep at the top of the plateau waiting for you. Well, we made it. Not exactly what I would call in one piece, but we're back. (sighs) Right. It's a safe enough place to hide out for now, at least until we can plan out our next move. But hey, technically, it's a payday, and payday's a great day. That is awesome. Money. I can actually buy things. We could maybe buy things. Not pierce the heavens, of course, because that's still way outside of my price range. Valen chuckles and then looks slightly sad and... Yeah, well, I could not really do much for you anymore since I'm probably going to be cut off from any funds I would have had. Does that mean pretty boy's going to have to bunk with the commoners? No, no, no. Uh, maybe. I don't know anymore. Oh, you're going to have to step down. What, what, what if all of us could pull together to afford one nice room? All of us? In the same room? At the same time? She covers her chest. Uh, two nice rooms. I meant two nice rooms. All of us? In two rooms at the same time? Oh, I, how would all of us be in two separate rooms at the same time? That's a really good question. You can see that Kelsey's cheered up a good bit since coming back. After all... You're no longer in hostile territory. Well, I guess we go check in in the keep. All right. Flips through notes to see which hair part is Nora versus Zora. Nora is the right. Zora is the left, I'm pretty sure. Right is Nora, left is Zora. Yeah. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the information desk. How can I help you? I would like to get paid. Just slap down the puzzle piece. Oh, well, you guys are back finally. Welcome back. It's nice to see you all again. Yes, it's nice to see you all again. Whoa! She pops a party popper. Hey, question. How many of my competitors have died? He points over to the, the ranking board. You see, it's all jumbled in a mess. Your name is up, like, way higher than it was last time. What the heck happened over there? Oh, that? That's pretty normal, actually. Yeah, we go through many people. Monthly. Oh, oh okay. A lot of stupid people walk into traps and die. I mean, yeah, our party's not exactly whole either, so... It makes sense. They both look over to the sideboard, seeing, though, that Finnevere's name is still there and Tavid's name is not there because Tavid never took the test. Hmm. Interesting. So, how would you like us to divide out your pay? Uh, Valen, we want to do it three ways. Valen nods. Three ways! Perfect! And after a few moments of 
rifling through sheets of paper, them looking things up and down. They come back with nine hefty silver bars and place them in piles of three on the table. How much do these weigh? Can I guesstimate? Alrighty then, here is 3,000 silver for each of you. Thank you, Alan's Quest did pay well. Yeah, I'm very aware. Well, congratulations. You'll probably be seeing an update in your membership over there relatively soon. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if you made it up to your next rank. After what I went through, I feel like I deserve to at least be silver. Who do I have to punch in the face to get a plumed helmet? We don't have those here. Dang it. You are steel, actually. So remember, the rankings are steel, bronze, silver, gold, and platinum. But if you move up to bronze, <laughs> you actually start getting your monthly stipend of three crow and two gold pieces. Uh, is, is there like a... I heard something about like an up, upgrade test or something that we might have to take. Nora shoves her way in front of Zora, who is standing at the table. Absolutely, you're going to have to take another test in order to graduate. And for every rank? Precisely. Zora then shoves her way in front of Nora. Yes, everyone who takes our tests will eventually graduate. Eventually. If you fail, there is no penalty except the fact that you're stuck at the same adventure rank that you're at. And is it only people who are steel one that can take the test? Anyone within the first five. Charles Smoot would walk over to the board and see where he is currently ranked. You see that all three of you are at within the top five of the board. The Finnevere is a little bit lower since he didn't return. Oh, did they already update it? It updates pretty quick. It seems like it's a relic or an uh -huh. artifact of some kind. All right. Well, that's something we could maybe do eventually if we care to. I... I think having a stipend would be nice. I do like free money, if I'm already going to be doing the work. Yes, Valen walks up next to you guys, too. Especially since our sugar daddy over here is now cut off from his supply. Valen blushes at that. What? What does that even mean? I'll let Kelsey explain to you one line. What? Why do I have to explain it? I don't know. It just seems like something that would come up in conversation between you two. You know, you what? marrying a potential prince. Both of them just look at you. And at the same time, they're like, what? What? No, 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 What? I mean, Valen, you were asking if she was married at one point. Stop, please. What? He was? Why? I don't know. I, some proposal he was offering. Please stop. He just turns and begins walking away. Kelsey is just bright red. Mr. Smoot, you really need to stop teasing us. I'm Not just... us, me. And she storms off herself. So it is in us. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> you feel a tap on your shoulder. Charles Smoot turns around. As Zora is standing behind you. Charles Smoot? Yeah, yeah, I figured this would happen. You're being requested. Yeah, I know I am. Do I get paid anything extra for this? She stares at you blankly before turning and gesturing for you to follow after her. Yeah, fine. Charles Smoot will follow after Zora, knowing this inevitable meeting was unavoidable. He knows exactly where he's being led to, as he is but merely an informant for Lord Eden, after all. And she does lead you to the elevator and guides you up towards the overseer's office, Lord Eden, Eden the Fair. The many names that keep bustling around in your head, questioning whether or not you're going to make through this conversation, who knows, and what you'll learn. But finally, the doors part. And you see, as Eden is sitting 
Behind her desk in her office, she does not appear to be wearing her typical uniform, but is rather in a more relaxed outfit as she's looking out from her window. Lord Eden, Charles Smoot poses as he enters and gives the seeker salute. Whatever the seeker salute is. She turns her direction back towards you. Ah, Charles, welcome back. Please take a seat. Apprehensive and suspicious. You hear a chuckle behind you from Zora as the doors close. That not helping with his anxiety in the slightest. Smoot slowly makes his way over to the chair and warily takes a seat, unsure of what this conversation has to hold for him. You can see that Lord Eden, or rather Eden the Fair, which seems to fit her better right now, she's not as uptight as she usually is. Her hair is actually down, but braided to the side. She's sitting there with a glass goblet in her hand, which seems to be filled with some sort of wine. And she is wearing a black dress, but her arms are mostly covered, though you can see strange scars partially hidden under the sleeves. So, she puts down the goblet. What have you learned? I see barely give a man a chance to walk his way into town before you start interrogating him. I expect nothing less. <sighs> she smiles slightly, standing up from her desk to her full seven feet. She goes over to one of her shelves, picking up a bottle of wine. Would you care for some, then? Uh, I would love some. And Charles Smoot somewhat relaxes and slouches in the chair, but as she's pouring the glass, he begins divulging some information. We travel to the kingdom of Rayland. It is an estate worse for wares, though I'm sure you already know of the political matters that are transpiring there, at least to some degree. If you want me to expand on that, I can. Though I'm aware that wasn't exactly my mission. What I was able to figure out regarding the Far Traveler, which I know is what actually interests you, there were many individuals dubious of his existence. Most people think him still a myth, though you and I know more to the contrary that he is real. She turns her attention back towards you, handing you the goblet. Smoot takes it from her and takes a big gulp out of it, trying to choose his next words very carefully. She walks around the other side of the table and sits back down in her large chair, leaning back in it, as she observes you and takes in your appearance. From what I was able to gather, mostly from scattered information and then one primary informant, the Far Traveler is after something which has little meaning to me, but I'm willing to further investigate. Something referred to as the Artifact of the Red Crown. She stops sipping on her goblet and places it down, leaning in towards you. Interesting. I've never heard of such an object. Ah, damn it. No one has. At least no one I've been able to... You sent me there to figure out what he was after. Hearing that he's after some random artifact that no one knows anything about is not exactly useful information, but... She stands up. She walks over to you, her dress flowing behind her, billowing slightly. You did well, Charles. And she takes a finger and draws it underneath of your chin. 
tilting your head to look up at her. Very well. The guild's resources are many, and she flicks her finger out from underneath her chin, turning back towards her desk, not facing you at this moment. Of course, we would be happy to look into such a thing. Do you believe in prophecies, Charles? I guess it depends on who's the prophet. <laughs> I didn't. Not until I experienced this world for myself. I suppose, since you did so well, I'll give you a bit of a reward. The true purpose of our guild, and what it is that we seek, and why we are so after this far traveler, why your mission was of the utmost importance. I didn't believe necessarily that you could do it. She turns back towards you, a smile coating her face. But you did, and I am very pleased. What are you trying to say, Eden? What do you mean? What, what is the purpose? Are you, are you saying of the Seekers as a whole? What do you mean when you experienced this world? She smiles, bigger. Something that is dark and mischievous. You have yet to experience the dark wood fully. Correct. From my understanding, that is been what I've been told. What know you of it? Very little other than what I've been told. A big spooky boogeyman, more or less, with monstrous creatures that will rip me limb from limb. Yes. A massive forest encompassing almost the entire landscape of Westrealm, and only growing larger every year, specifically this dark wood. It is a slow corruption, gifted to us, we believe, by a gate. We call it the Gate of Corruption. It is like a poison seeping into the wood. The wood doesn't burn like you would think. If it can even be called wood anymore. Bark like stone, heart rotted and crumbling. And even if you manage to light it, she begins to look towards her fireplace, her eyes narrowing and focusing on it. It produces an unnatural purple flame and noxious fumes. I have seen many men fall prey to it. The forest, or rather, the dark wood is not natural. And we, seekers, are attempting to find a way to remedy it, whether it be to close the gate or to cure it. But of course, for many it is legend, or a prophecy, of nine gates to open for the world to fall. The ruins that you delve into are of the past world, one that was destroyed in a great catastrophe, we believe, through the Gate of Destruction, which is now buried deep in the ocean's core. And I share this view not because I think you can solve it, but I think as a foreigner you have a different perspective, one that people here can never know. I, I mean, that's great and all, and gives me some context, I suppose. But what does this have to do with the Far Traveler? Like I said, some believe the Far Traveler to be a time traveler, more specifically. There is potential that 
he carries an artifact with him that would either allow us to glimpse into the future or change the past. And if he's telling you to find this artifact of the Red Crown, perhaps it is exactly what we are looking for. I do not know your goals exactly, Charles, but perhaps they align with ours, such as if you seek to right a wrong. In a way, I suppose you are correct in saying I seek a remedy to a wrong, a path I chose where I did not know where it would lead me. And in turn, my remedy may be something that you could use as well. For that reason, um, once there is any information to be garnered on the matter, I would not be opposed to personally seeking out this artifact of the Red Crown. It would help, of course, if uh, me and my compatriots were better equipped for such tasks. Defeating all odds uh, that come against us is easier if we are better equipped for the situation, at least tilting the odds somewhat in our favor. I shall consider it then. But for now, rest, for I have many tasks for you. And we shall look further into this artifact of the Red Crown together. Now, go. And with that, Charles Smoot will take his leave. And as you walk out through the doors of Eden's chambers, you see as she stands looking out through her window and the doors close behind you as you make your way into the deep dark hall of the keep and i think that is where we're going to end off this week's episode of the gate chronicles we have a surprise for you foundlings because guess what we are going to be switching to pathfinder second edition starting in the next episode when charles smooth returns let's go long awaited i've been Begging for this day to occur. Yes, we'll see. We'll see how this goes. There, it's gonna be wonderful. Yeah, no, I don't want. I don't have spoilers. But we'll be checking in with Vinaviravir next episode to figure out what's going on with him Ooh. before things change over. So, with that, we'll see you in two weeks, foundlings. We want to give a big thank you and shout out to Michael Gelfi, Monument Studios, and Yvonne Dutch for allowing us to use their music and ambiance in today's episodes. And also, foundlings, if you want to support us. As your game masters and players, consider going to our Patreon and donating to the podcast so that we can, you know, do stuff and create more content in the future. And also you get access to really cool things like, you know, my GM notes through my World Anvil, which looks amazing, by the way. And also, you know, you can maybe vote on shirt designs, hats, stickers. Oh, wait, those are also on our website. <gasps> MissingWorldPlayerFound.com. You know, that place. And also make sure you're following us on our Twitter and Instagram at RollFound. And join us in our Discord. That link is in our description below. Just hit that link tree and you'll get uh, all the links. So we'll see you in a few weeks. Bye-bye. Bye, guys.